Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of dysphagia and odynophagia found under the gastrointestinal section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 44-year-old woman with the medical history of scleroderma presents to her rheumatologist with increasing dysphagia. She was diagnosed with systemic sclerosis one year ago and has had one episode of hypertensive renal crisis secondary to the disease. Over the past few weeks, she reports having increasing dysphagia. She was also recently diagnosed with aspiration pneumonia and treated with a full course of antibiotics. She denies any nausea or vomiting, but reports dysphagia with both liquids and solid food. Physical exam is unremarkable. She is scheduled for an upper endoscopy. This is a case of scleroderma-induced esophageal dysmotility. Let's continue with an introduction to dysphagia and odynophagia. Clinical definitions of dysphagia include difficulty swallowing, and it is often categorized by the location. This includes oropharyngeal dysphagia and esophageal dysphagia. Odynophagia is defined as pain with swallowing. Demographically, this is more common in patients in long-term care facilities and it is common in elderly patients. Treatment focuses on treating the underlying cause. Complications include malnutrition and aspiration pneumonia. Now let's discuss dysphagia in more detail. For esophageal dysphagia, the pathogenesis may include obstruction versus dysmotility. It may be primary, such as in the setting of esophageal spasm or achalasia, or secondary, such as in the setting of systemic diseases, such as scleroderma. In terms of the presentation, there is dysphagia, sensation of food being stuck in the throat, chest pain, which may be burning or heavy, and regurgitation, although this is seen more with dysmotility issues. For oropharyngeal dysphagia, the pathogenesis usually involves a functional etiology. Examples of this are neurological or muscular dysfunction. In terms of the presentation, there is dysphagia, delayed initiation of swallowing, aspiration, which may include coughing and choking, the need to swallow repeatedly for passage of food, and regurgitation of fluid through the nose during swallowing. In terms of treatment, one should focus on treating the underlying etiology. Another option is percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy tube. This is indicated for severe cases or prolonged dysphagia. And another option is dietary changes. This is indicated for patients who are unable to tolerate oral medications or solid foods. Remember that some patients may require a soft or liquid diet. Now let's discuss the features of these two different types of dysphagia in more detail. For esophageal dysphagia, the obstructive subtype demonstrates dysphagia to solids more so than liquids. Symptoms include a progressive dysphagia. Etiologies may include strictures, such as an infectious esophagitis, and radiation-induced strictures. There may be esophageal webs, esophageal carcinoma, or Shatsky rings. For the dysmotility subtype, liquids and solids are equally affected. Symptoms include dysphagia and sensation of food stuck in the throat. Etiologies include achalasia, connective tissue disorders, Sjogren syndrome, scleroderma, esophageal spasms, and nutcracker esophagus. For oropharyngeal dysphagia, the pathogenesis involves neurologic and muscular causes. The food type affects liquids more so than solids. Symptoms include choking, regurgitation of food through the nose, and aspiration. Etiologies include stroke, Parkinson's disease, myasthenia gravis, head trauma, 
multiple sclerosis, myopathies, and obstructive causes which are rare, but these include Zanker diverticula, Plummer-Vinson syndrome, and malignancy. Now let's discuss diagnostic imaging. Upper endoscopy is indicated for esophageal dysphagia, in particular of the obstructive type. This is indicated in all patients and is often the initial imaging. Findings may include esophagitis, dysmotility, strictures, masses, diverticula, and rings or webs. Esophageal manometry can be indicated in the dysmotility type. This is also indicated when endoscopy results are equivocal, if the barium swallow is equivocal, and if dysphagia to solids and liquids or suspicion for dysmotility. Findings include achalasia, which would be an abnormal relaxation of lower esophageal sphincter and an absent distal peristalsis, or diffuse esophageal spasms, where there is incomplete lower esophageal sphincter relaxation and progressive peristalsis. One may also note findings with scleroderma, which would include absence of all peristalsis. A barium swallow study is indicated when there is a history of radiation, injury, or strictures. It is also indicated when endoscopy results are equivocal and when there is dysphagia to solids alone. Findings may include achalasia, diffuse esophageal spasm, strictures, rings or webs, and masses. Now let's discuss odinophagia in more detail. Remember that this is often associated with dysphagia. Risk factors include very hot or cold food and immunocompromised patients. The etiology may include infectious esophagitis, such as from candida, although this causes dysphagia more often than odinophagia. It may also be due to HSV or CMV ulcerative esophagitis. This causes odinophagia more so than dysphagia. Other causes include medication-induced esophagitis, ulcers, and malignancy. The presentation may include pain with swallowing and no sensation of food boluses being stuck in the throat. In terms of the diagnosis, imaging may include upper endoscopy. Specific findings include ulcers, esophagitis, and malignancy. And finally, treatment is by treating the underlying cause. That's all for this review about dysphagia and odinophagia. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.